listening to Zap Night, a video game review podcast. Join your hosts as we review video games from all systems and all genres. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Zap Night. I'm your host, Danny. And I'm your co-host, Kaylee. And this is episode 63. Yay! And you know... 63. I was so excited. We finally made it to Final Fantasy VII. And we, it's been a long journey. It's been at least three years, uh, almost yeah. four. And we've, you know, slowly we've played all the Final Fantasies up to Final Fantasy VII. I've been so excited for this day to get here. And now that it's here, it's sad because we have to talk about it over Skype. <laughs> we can't I even know. be in the same room because of Dang the stupid Oh, I know. Coronavirus. I was expecting to set up the table and have all my Final Fantasy oh. stuff, and I was so excited for it, and then this happened, but There's it's fine. There's always the remake. There's always the remake, I guess. But, I mean, anyway, um, I, I'm still really excited about Final Fantasy VII. We've we played it for a couple months. Do you remember your time? Um, No. No? <laughs> I... I wrote mine down. Let me let me look at it. Hang on. Hang I on. Mean, I, I can go look. But no, it's all right. I think yours... When I looked at the Switch, it looked like yours said like 35 hours. That sounds about right. Which, you know, mine was 47, almost 48 hours. You know, you had the double, triple time or whatever yeah. that you could speed things up. So, you know, maybe it kind of balances out a little bit. I don't know. But I, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, because it didn't affect the timer at all. Right. Which I thought it would because I, I would sit there with that double time on like I would get up to like grab something really quick and come back and that timer would still say this stay the same. So, hmm. yeah, I think you're right. Probably. I mean, at the very, very least an hour. But well, I guess that's a good segue. Um, I played it on the original PlayStation one. I played my my very first copy of Final Fantasy VII. I still have it from when my parents bought it for me for my birthday in oh, like '98 or something like that. Yeah, yep. Oh, I have my copy of Final so Fantasy VII. Special. <laughs> I don't have my. Wait, I might have my original nine. That's hmm. so nice. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> it it hasn't. I I've had to get it resurfaced now I'm realizing isn't like the best thing to do to games because it thins them out and, you know, potentially could ruin them, but it played really well. I didn't have any problems with it. Um, there was a few goofy things going on with, um, I think it was the, the PlayStation that I was using at the beginning, but I mean, otherwise, you know, my original copy of final fantasy seven, I was, it, it, it held up this, you know, all these years. Yeah. <laughs> And then you played the Switch version, right? Which is technically the Steam version. Yes, which the the like remaster a little bit. It's so it, like, updated its graphics a little bit. Yeah, there's they made a few changes to that version where they had the like um we already talked about the triple time, but then you had like the option to like auto limit break your characters and like every time they would get hit, their uh, HP would recover, which I didn't realize Till the very end, because I, I mostly I just use the fast forward function, but I would occasionally use the limit break when I would just be like trying to leave a dungeon or something. Yeah, if I had to backtrack. 
Um, but then they also had the no encounters, which was kind of nice. I used that oh a man, few yeah, too. I would have used that a few times too. But I mean, ultimately, I didn't have too many problems with the game. Um, I think there was like one boss that like threw me off, and we'll yeah, talk about was, it when we get there. But yeah, uh, Final Fantasy VII was developed by SquareSoft back then. It was released for the PS1 on. I don't know the exact date. Sorry, I didn't write it down. But in 1997. Um, and then it was re-released for the PC in 1998. And then it was kind of ported out to just about anything Square Enix could get their hands on. So it was ported out to like the Switch. It's been ported out to uh, PSN. Um, Alexa plays it now. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it's been ported out on a lot, a lot of things. <laughs> My Tamagotchi can play it. Like, you don't believe the things these days. I'm going to start up the story. And I was filling out my notes for the story, and I'm realizing that, like, I can't just, like, glaze over the story because everything in this game happens for a reason. And so we're going to kind of deep dive into the story probably more than we really need to. But because of that, the story is going to be a very big segment. So for those listening to this, if you don't feel like you want to listen to the story, you may want to fast forward and that's up to you. But if you don't, have a full grasp of the story, you may want to listen to it because it's really interesting if it's been a few years since you played it, or if you've only played it maybe one time through the story is a lot deeper when you've played it a couple times. And I realized that playing, you know, this is maybe my second like full run from beginning to end without really breaking. This is only the second time that I've beat the game, but I've played it in the past as a kid for, you know, since the game was released. And, you know, there are things that I'm realizing on this playthrough that clicked that didn't necessarily click in the, you know, the first couple <laughs> times that I played the game. So, you know, something something to think about, but you're welcome to fast forward. I don't care. But it, it honestly the story could be up to an hour. So <laughs> So we'll see. You think, you think we're, it's going to take an hour to go through this? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's get started. So the game, I, I'm going to try and talk about the game in more of a chronological order instead of how the game depicts the story. Um, so we're actually going to go 2000 years prior to the start of the game. And the calamity from yeah, the sky. Yeah, it starts with the calamity from the sky, uh, or later known as Genova. And it... Genova comes down, and I'm I'm assuming it's some sort of meteorite or something, and it falls to the earth, making a crater. And the Cetra, who are the dominant race at the time, they they have this connection with the planet, and when the meteor falls, they gather up as many of their numbers to help heal the planet because they have this communication with the planet. And while they're there, they realize that the meteor that fell, the creature that came from within, was infecting the the Cetra people and turning them into monsters. Um, now, because the planet has this consciousness of its own, it creates these monster-like beings called Weapon. And there's five of them, at least in the game, there's five of them. And they... They're kind of created by the planet, but they're left dormant because the Cetra actually ends up being able to contain Genova or, you know, this being 
the calamity from the sky, um, right. contain it within the planet and uh, leave it dormant. Now, because of the struggle, the Cetra are reduced in population and aren't able to continue their lineage. Um, by the time of the start of the game, you only have one left in existence, at least that we, at the game details. So the planet uses the remaining of its power. It uses the life stream to flood that crater impact spot to heal the wound over the, the next, you know, thousands of years and that's so cold in that area exactly and they specifically talk about that um in a section of the game so fast forward a few years i don't know exactly how far into the future but shinra begins to use the life stream which is the power that the planet was using um they call it mako or mako and they start harvesting that life energy to create a power source or an electrical source. And they build these reactors that are kind of like power plants all over the world to harvest that energy. Now, because they have like the only power source and they start to grow in, you know, monetary power, but then they kind of make their own government and they become kind of a government presence in the world. And they start creating different sections, um, like an army to defend itself, and a science team, and, you know, they have a space program. All of this just to, you know, protect itself and to become, like, a large presence and kind of control the world. To the point where their focus becomes not just harvesting the life power where they find it, but they're trying to find the legend that the Cetra has passed down the promised land. Uh, they have an army that they have different ranks within the army. And the top rank is called soldier. And as a soldier member, they get infused with Mako to give them superhuman like abilities. So they're able to utilize materia. They're able to, you know, they have super strength. They can practically fly depending on what source you use. (laughs) All right. So that's, it's a good good general understanding for Shinra. Um, moving on to Genova. So in the the science team of uh, Shinra. Shinra, Professor Gas discovers Genova. He believes be- is an ancient. And and from yeah from from their point of view, ancient and Cetra are actually the same thing. Um, I've seen some sources in, in researching this, I've seen some sources claim that the ancients were the ones who fought Genova, but the Cetra are the people. Does that make sense? So like Cetra, Cetra is like the race, but then the ancients are the, the team that went to fight Genova. Um, I don't know how true that is, but that's kind of how they they depict it, but as far as I can tell, they the the term ancient and cetera are interchangeable. I think they call themselves cetera, but the the human race calls them ancients. I don't know. Anyway, uh, back to the story. Gast finds Genova. He discovers Genova laying dormant. He excavates the body, and they start doing research on the body. They build a research team with Hojo and Lucretia, and they set up base in Nibelheim to do these experiments. 
Gast ends up separating himself from the Genova Project because Hojo has this lack of human morals. I, I think Lucretia falls in love with Hojo, and Hojo is just like a mad scientist and is like, well... You know, yeah. What's let's the name of science. Let's let's know. have a baby, and then they, they inject that baby with Genova cells. They definitely make it sound like that he fall that they fall in love, but they didn't explore it. But I think Dirge of Cerberus does. Well, we can kind of talk about. Um, I just thought it's just as interesting. I I didn't put any uh, Vincent story in here. But this is kind of a good spot to talk about it. During this time of Hojo and Lucretia's, like, love, Vincent was stationed... He was uh, a Turk. Yeah, he was stationed as a Turk to protect the science team. And he falls in love with Lucretia, but distances himself because he believes that she's fallen in love with Hojo. Well, when Vincent finds out that Hojo is doing experiments on Lucretia's baby... He steps in to confront Hojo. Well, Hojo, does he shoot him? I don't know what he does, but he incapacitates Vincent and does experiments on him. And when Vincent wakes up, he is this monster. And he's embarrassed by this. He's deeply disturbed by his, you know, monster-esque to the point where he puts himself in a coffin to eternally, you know, sleep as punishment. (laughs) Right. So anyway, Hojo and Lucretia have a baby, and Hojo injects this baby with Genova cells, believing to give the baby the power of the ancients. This baby was born and named Sephiroth. Dun, dun, dun. What a terrible name for a baby. Sephiroth. Oh, what's home? Baby Sephiroth. Like, baby Sephi. <laughs> it's like naming your baby child like some absurd like this is angus (laughs) the big boy name i know anyway so after gas separates himself from the team he finds a true cetra named lafana ifalna ifalna yeah okay if Lana, if, if, if Lana, that's what I've heard too. It's hard. These Final Fantasy, you know, we we've dealt with this seven times now. Well, we also have the problem of we played this as children, so <laughs> it's kind of like Aerith or Eris or Eris in some cases. I know, and yeah. And you guys will just have to bear with us on the names. <laughs> um, I've always called Iflana. I've always called her Iflana. I've always called her uh. Elena, Elena or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to do my best to keep it as at least across the board the same. So anyway, Gast meets Aflana or Aflana. He originally just wants to learn about the Cetra and their abilities, being that she's the only last surviving Cetra. Because she has this ability to communicate with the planet and communicate with the ancient knowledge that is pulsing through the life stream that is kind of like jet streams of power underneath the earth. Anyway, she's able to tap into this and she's able to tell um, Gast about the calamity from the sky and how the planet is trying to heal itself from that wound. And she's able to tell him what genova really is 
which is this being from outer space that fell and had turned their people into monsters. Over the years, Gast eventually falls in love with her, and they end up having a baby, and that baby is Ares, or Aerith, or Ares. I call her Ares. <laughs> so deal with it. Hojo eventually ends up hunting down Gast and demands Aflana and Ares's bodies <laughs> themselves, themselves. To, to, to be able to experiment on them. Gast steps in the way and, and ends up dying. Um, Hojo takes Aflana and Ares to Midgar, but somehow they manage to escape. I think maybe Aflana actually is able to escape because there's he guessed in this process of doing all this, he's got his own little recording in as icicle in mm-hmm. and they shoot the camera and you kind of can hear what's going on in the background. And I believe he tells her to run with Aries and get out of there. Oh, so maybe she makes it on her own I think to Midgar. She manages to escape, but they still are able to keep like a close eye on her. Right, but well, it, uh, and, and that kind of leads to the next bit of this. Ifalna ends up going to Midgar, and at the same time, a, a lady named Elmira is there waiting for her husband to return from war. When Ifalna shows up there, she's badly hurt, she's she's on her, her last breath, she asks Elmira to take care of Ares, then Ifalna ends up dying. Elmira takes care of Ares, you know, raises her as her own. However, testing from the Turks is constantly monitoring Ares and is constantly trying to capture her. So that's Ares' story. Let's talk about Cloud and Tifa. So Cloud is the main character of the story. Tifa is kind of the sub, one of the sub characters. They were both born in Nibelheim and Cloud is kind of the outcast of the town. I would say that he has a bit of a crush on Tifa. Yeah. Mainly, I think that he just feels that outcast nature where Tifa has everybody is her friend and right. Cloud is just like left aside on all of their, you know, friendly gatherings or whatever. Eventually, Tifa's mother passes away. She kind of has this moment where she wants to go off into the mountains and all of the kids of the town follow her into the mountains and most of the kids run back, back. and they're they're like afraid to go to don't go too far into the mountains um and cloud is the only one who actually follows her all the way to this bridge where they end up falling off the bridge tifa and cloud are seriously hurt um well, he he isn't. In fact, he says he's like, I only got a few scrapes, but Tifa actually ends up in a coma for like a week. Oh, really? I don't yeah. remember that. I believe you. I just, I don't remember. <laughs> so, um, Cloud actually carries, all, for some weird reason, I, I think the adults of the town um, blame, blame Cloud. Cloud when it wasn't Cloud's fault, really, but he still shoulders the whole blame of that incident. And he he makes this determination to join Soldier to help protect Tifa in the future. So Cloud uh, gathers his courage and invites Tifa to the town well t- at night to tell her that he's leaving and he's going to join the Shinra army and hopefully join Soldier, kind of in the same footsteps that, I guess we haven't talked about it, but in the same footsteps that Sephiroth, yeah, that Sephiroth takes. Tifa 
asks Cloud to make one promise, and that is when he becomes famous and strong, that if she is ever in danger, that he will come and rescue her. And that's like the big promise of the whole game, you know. She brings this up every chance she can. Your biggest problem with Tifa is this promise. (laughs) It is. (laughs) I didn't write this in my notes, but I kind of want to talk about it. Cloud joins the Shinra army, but doesn't make it to soldier. However, Sephiroth also joins the Shinra army, being that he's the super genetically enhanced soldier. He obviously moves through the ranks very quickly, and he ends up being number one in the army there's there's a war that happens during this uh, this time too against Wutai. Is that yeah? Or yep. Because Sephiroth is so good, they the Shinra army just demolishes them and turns their town into like a tourist attraction. <laughs> so um, anyway, five years prior to the game is the Nibelheim event, and this is like the core of the game. Shinra has this issue where one of the reactors are causing a problem and they send two Shinra soldier people and two army escorts to Nibelheim to investigate the reactor. You have Sephiroth and you have Zack. Zack is a, he's, he's pretty young. He uh, is very enthusiastic about being in soldier. He has joined the true soldier rankings. Cloud is also escorting the group. He is one of the general army. The, like just one of the basic officers. Right. And, and he's just there to escort Sephiroth and Zack um, in Nibelheim. And, you know, help maintain peace, I guess. There's one other guy, but they don't, they don't ever talk about him. <laughs> he's, just don't, he's just there. He is. So anyway, Cloud stays hidden under his uniform because he doesn't want to be recognized by Tifa and the rest of his family because he's so embarrassed by never making it to Soldier. And he never writes back to home. He never, you know, has any interaction with his hometown because of this. Tifa joins the small group of Shinra soldiers as the guide to walk them to the reactor. However, she is forced to wait outside the reactor because she's not a Shinra official. Cloud guards the front door while she waits outside. Zack and Sephiroth go in to investigate the reactor, and they find all these experiments that were left behind by Hojo regarding the Genova project. Sephiroth has this meltdown questioning his existence and if he is one of those experiments that were in town there. He has been told by Hojo that his mother's name is Genova, but not really given any more information than that. So when he finds Genova as a big sign in the back, um, he obviously wants to know more. So they go back to Nibelheim and Sephiroth locks himself in the Shinra mansion Uh, where he basically has all the research notes left from the Genova project. Because that's where Genova initially was taken, was to Nibelheim. Right, yeah, and and that's where the... They all the stuff, so he goes back to see all their notes and stuff about what they were doing when they were working on stuff. Exactly. (laughs) Zack ends up checking on Sephiroth and finds him in the mansion, where he is kind of distraught about the realization that Genova is this being 
and he wants to rejoin with her and he leaves the mansion. And when Zach walks back outside, he finds that the village is engulfed in flames. He wants to help the people. So he follows Sephiroth to the mountain. However, cloud is in the town as well and is doing what he can to help save his family really. And all of his friends in town. However, most of the people die or is really badly hurt from this catastrophe. Tifa follows Zack and Sephiroth to the reactor. Tifa finds her father at the reactor, having been killed by Sephiroth. She picks up his sword because for some reason he killed her father and then just left his sword there. Um, yeah, exactly. And Sephiroth overpowers Tifa and slashes her, um, pushing her back. Zack then finally makes his way to the reactor and makes an effort to stop Sephiroth as well, but Sephiroth also pushes him back. Cloud then makes it to the reactor. Following everyone up there, he he finds Tifa wounded and carries her to safety. Then he goes to confront Sephiroth with Zack's sword, the Buster Sword. Cloud manages to injure Sephiroth, but Sephiroth still pushes him back. Sephiroth takes Genova's head, assuming maybe he can't carry her whole body, he just takes her head, and then tries to walk out of the reactor. However, Cloud makes a second attempt to stop him, and Sephiroth impales Cloud with his sword. Now, somehow... Cloud manages to pick Sephiroth up by the impaled sword, swing him off the edge of the reactor. Sephiroth falls into the life stream below. And that is the Nibelheim event. After the event, the town is basically destroyed. Uh, Tifa is escorted by her martial arts teacher to Midgar where she sets up the seventh heaven and uh, meets up with Barrett there. And within a five year period, Shinra comes to Nibelheim and reconstructs it exactly. You know, it's all this big, like cover up. They hire people to even sit there and say, Oh yeah, I've lived here for 20 some years. Anyway, cloud and Zach both get captured by Shinra and, are left in the Shinra mansion, the lab down there, where Hojo does experiments on them. I assume because Sephiroth was this well-respected soldier, they kind of wanted to make, like, Sephiroth clones. Right. So they he injects them with some more Genova stuff, basically. Well, not just Cloud and Zack, but everyone in the village that was wounded, that was still right. alive. So many, many people injected with these Genova cells in an effort to make a perfect Sephiroth clone. Cloud and Zack specifically are locked in these containers that are infusing them with Mako and also Genova cells. Zack and Cloud somehow manage to escape the mansion. Zack has to carry Cloud out because Cloud is in this coma state. I assume Zack doesn't have as hard of an effect because he's already been infused with Mako, having been in Soldier, but like Cloud, his body can't handle it as well because he has Mako poisoning. Exactly, yeah, he does. Yeah, exactly. So Zack, it, it makes an effort to take Cloud to Midgar, where he wants to be a mercenary, and you know, Cloud, he wants to have Cloud be his his right hand man. But as soon as they make it to Midgar, Zack is quickly gunned down by the Shinra army. 
And the Shinra army basically looks at Cloud and is like, well, he's pretty much dead anyway. We'll just leave him. Well, Cloud somehow manages to take Zack's sword and makes it down into Midgar, where he's found by Tifa. Tifa asks him to join their group, you know, in Seventh Heaven with Barrett. And that's kind of where the game starts. So that's the beginning of the game. It is. Yeah, it totally is. So when you first started up the game, you are met by Cloud, who is already on this mission to blow up a reactor. Trying to fill in some of these blanks. Of course, it's not super clearly stated, but Tifa finds Cloud and asks Cloud to join Avalanche. I guess that maybe Cloud is trying to get some money to help pursue Sephiroth. He's trying to be a mercenary because that's what Zack was. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I kind of thought that maybe he just wanted to build money to be able to travel the world to pursue Sephiroth. But maybe you're right. He was just like, I'm a mercenary and this is what I do. You know, I think what happened was he he kind of came to after the whole thing that had happened when he is, when he finally was managed to get to Midgar, Tifa meets him and you don't find this out till the later game. She acknowledges that he's acting kind of funny and he kind of like pulls himself together, but he still is acting kind of weird. Well, I think he does do it for money, but that's what Zach was initially saying. Anyway, he wanted to be a mercenary make enough money to do his own thing, basically. Right, yeah. The exact quote from Tifa was he seemed to know things that he shouldn't, and he doesn't know things that he should. Basically saying that, like, somehow he knew about the event even though he wasn't there, but like, he didn't really know about his past and that was the stuff that he was there for. (laughs) So she's kind of confused, but she's kind of rolling along with it. Anyway, Cloud specifically joins Avalanche with Barrett, and Avalanche is this terrorist group to basically take revenge on Shinra and help restore the planet. They're not so much a terrorist group. They're they're labeled terrorists because that's what Shinra calls them, but they're more of activists, I guess, because they're trying to save the planet. But Shinra calls them terrorists because, of course, they're blowing up the reactors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, way, exactly. Did you know that they originated from uh, Cosmo Canyon? The tiniest bit of text Barrett says while when you're at Cosmo Canyon is that Avalanche was formed there. <laughs> they don't. They say nothing else after. <laughs> I, I think- do remember that, but it seems like that he had said that he always hoped to to go to Cosmo Canyon. Like he had never been there, so maybe he didn't form Avalanche. No, he maybe didn't. it was formed in Cosmo Canyon, but made its way to Midgar eventually. That's interesting. They they make they make more. There's another game that kind of go- dives into that, but I just thought it was interesting that they even made an effort to mention it in the game. Like, just this game. Right. You know what I mean? Before yeah. they made the other games. This, like, one line. <laughs> yeah. It was just that one line made it into... Like, it didn't even matter. At times. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Anyway. Cloud joins Avalanche, and they blow up a, a Mako reactor in Midgar. So, back in 7th Heaven, where Tifa works as a bartender, Cloud plans to leave after doing the mission for the reactor, but is persuaded by Tifa to stay and do one more mission with Barrett. Cloud reluctantly agrees to work with Avalanche. He actually goes with Tifa and Barrett this time to blow up a second reactor. However, on their way out of the reactor, they're confronted by uh, the president of Shinra, 
he attacks them with a robot that ends up exploding on this bridge, drops Cloud below into the Sector 5 slums. Boom. This is where Cloud wakes up and realizes that he is in a church. And he meets Ares, who is tending to the flowers that he has conveniently fallen in. Before he can leave the church, however... Some Shinra soldiers show up and make an effort to kidnap Ares. Ares asks Cloud to be her bodyguard to protect her. They end up escaping through the church roof and they make their way to Ares' house. Cloud is trying to get back to Sector 7, but ends up being escorted by Ares back to Sector 7, where they see Tifa being carried away in a carriage, led by some chocobos, which is amazing the only time like you only see that oh you see one carriage one more time in the game it's so weird why is there carriages <laughs> i don't know but i thought the same thing <laughs> um they they begin to find out that tifa was taken to the don who uh who runs a brothel Ares convinces Cloud to dress up like a girl to be able to sneak into the brothel to save Tifa. They find out that Tifa actually volunteered to go there to try and get information from Don. He reluctantly tells the group that Shinra is planning on blowing up the pillar underneath Sector 7 to eradicate Avalanche. Obviously... They're not too happy about that. So the the whole team quickly runs back to Sector 7, finding Barrett fighting at the top of the pillar. Uh, Tifa instructs Ares to go back to save Barrett's daughter, Marlene, who is bartending <laughs> at, at um, 7th Heaven for some weird reason. She's like five. I know. <laughs> Ares goes off to save Marlene, and Cloud goes to the top to fight with Barrett. Cloud, Tifa, Barrett, all fight Reno, who uh, sets a bomb. Reno is one of the Turks, by the way. But anyway, they set a bomb to blow up the pillar. They're unable to stop Reno, and Reno escapes via helicopter, where the helicopter also has testing and Ares to the Shinra headquarters. They're unable to stop the detonation for Sector 7, and it ends up blowing up and crashing down, killing everyone below. Boom. Barrett, Cloud, and Tifa are able to escape, however, just barely. And Barrett is distraught, thinking that he has lost not only his team, but his daughter, Marlene. And Tifa tells him that Marlene is safe. The They decide to run back to Ares' house to, you know, see Marlene. And they decide to go to the Shinra headquarters to uh, save Ares. They make their way to the Shinra headquarters where they eventually find Hojo's lab where they see Genova locked up in a container. Cloud has a mental spasm and he has to compose himself again in order to save Ares from being attacked by this random four-legged monster. They do save Ares from the monster who ends up being a specimen captured by Hojo named Red 13. We'll just call him Red, who was also captured by Hojo and he wishes to escape so he joins the team. He can talk, he's a dog. That's all he's you need to know. He's a lion. He's a lion, excuse me. He's <laughs> a lion dog, okay? There's a big difference. He's got oh. feathers. <laughs> he's got feathers. He's a lion dog with he's feathers on his hair. Lion dog. I don't know. It's it's crazy. A and he can talk. 
and he can talk. That was not the amazing part. The feathers was the. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Cloud and the others they make an effort to escape the Shinra building. However, they're met by the Turks, who take them to President Shinra. And they kind of expose this plan of utilizing Ares to find the promised land and build a Neo-Midgar there. Now, I guess I didn't really say this before, and I probably should have, but Midgar is like a huge reactor with little, with eight, I think it's eight reactors all the way around the border. So they're like constantly pumping out the life stream energy from the planet, which is why the planet is dying. Or that's why, you know, there's groups like Avalanche trying to blow up Shinra because of this problem. Anyway, so Shinra is trying to find this promised land that is supposed to be a Mako rich place where they're going to build a Neo Midgar. Um, they all, uh, the cloud in the group ends up getting tossed in jail. Cloud somehow manages to wake up with his cell unlocked and find all the guards dead. He, uh, opens up the other cells and follows the blood trail from Genova's container to the president's office, finding that the president has also been killed by Sephiroth's sword protruding from his back. That's his sword everywhere. He does. It's weird. So long. How could you forget it? I don't think he cares. Now, I didn't, I didn't think about this at the time, but I think that because... And, and we'll talk about this later. I, I'm mainly just talking to Kaylee. But because Sephiroth's body is still in the northern crater, I don't think that the Sephiroth who went around killing all no, the guards in Midgar... Huh? It, it was a uh, it was Genova. Yeah, exactly. It was Genova. Yes, like they explain that later. I oh, didn't do they? realize that. Yeah, they do in the game later. But yeah, they say that his body is still in the live stream. It's he's traveling the right, planet yeah. to find the quote unquote promised land. And what you're seeing is Genova. Yeah. Right. And I never put that together when I played before. Because every time you fight you, every time you fight Sephiroth or Genova, it leaves a piece of Genova behind. So it's like it makes sense like Right. If you think of it that way, I don't know. Anyway, continuing on with the story, uh, the group follows the blood trail to President Shinra, who's dead. They find a little man named Palmer, who had witnessed Sephiroth killing the president, and Sephiroth also mentioned something about trying to find the promised land. That's when a helicopter shows up, where Palmer escapes with the helicopter. However, the president's son, Rufus confronts the team and tells them about planning on taking over Shinra in a new direction where he demands results with fear and kind of plans on taking over the world. But I think he's also wanting to find the promised land too. He's taking it more of a ruler than his father was. Cause I don't know if you noticed this, but when you're actually in the honeybee Inn, the head of Shinra is there. (laughs) He's, he's actually in the honeybee Inn, like doing just the stuff. And he's just kind of this blah guy. Well, when he dies, his son comes in and is like, no, things are going to change. We're going to see results now, not just play our days away kind of thing. Like, he's ruling everyone with fear and, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. All right, so Cloud ends up fighting Rufus on the roof. 
and he he instructs the rest of the team to leave um, and make their way out of the building. However, Rufus ends up escaping via helicopter, which happens a lot, and the team is forced to quickly make their escape with the Shinra army approaching. Uh, they steal some Shinra vehicles, and they use the Midgar roadways to escape the city entirely. Now, the team has lots of questions at this point about Sephiroth and the Promised Land, and they decide to meet up in the next town over, where they go to Calm. So, when they regroup back in the village of Calm, which is near Midgar, Cloud tells them the story of the Nibelheim event. Except, this story is vastly different from the one that we just got done telling you. Somehow, Cloud has mixed up his memories with Zack's, where Cloud is in Zack's place. And he tells his team, his group, of the Nibelheim event from Zack's point of view, but as Cloud. (laughs) (laughs) So... They decide to continue after Sephiroth, like that's their goal, is to find and confront Sephiroth and stop him, and Shinra, really. And they eventually run into the Turks who tell uh, the team that they're also looking for Sephiroth, who's heading towards the Junin Harbor. So the team goes to Junin. Junon? Junon. There's like a village just outside of Junon. But there's Junon is like this military base. So in the village, Tifa confronts Cloud, kind of questioning why she didn't see Cloud in Nibelheim. And they're kind of not able to come to a direct answer. So the conversation is just dropped. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It was an awkward conversation he, he tends to have like these blips like he's trying to figure it out and then... like he's fighting the real memories but something is stopping those real memories it, it's it's interesting it's like a mental spasm yeah he's like glitching out <laughs> yeah he really is yeah that's, that's exactly it <laughs> so the crew decides to continue pursuing sephiroth who is spotted in junon and planning on crossing the ocean. Cloud finds a way to make it up to Junon using a dolphin, and he is mistaken as a Shinra armsman and forced to participate in the uh, Rufus's inaugural celebration. Inauguration, yeah. <laughs> so, he, you actually get to do the marching. <laughs> yeah, you have to march, you have to do like... How did um, you do in the like little mini game? Because you, you, you actually do a presentation in front of Rufus, and you have to do a certain combination of buttons. How did you do on that? I didn't do too bad, honestly. Like, I, I don't think I did as good as I could have, but it wasn't terrible. I actually tried this time. Usually I don't try at all, but this time I actually tried. I tried too, and I surprisingly got the best... I didn't get the best item, because apparently the best item is not the 100%. But I got, like, the 100%. <laughs> oh, nice. Good job. Yeah. So, yeah, Cloud manages to make his way to the Shinra ship where he, f- you know, meets with Rufus, though Rufus doesn't really know that it's him. Rufus is planning on crossing the ocean with the Shinra ship. Say that ten times fast. Shinra ship. Shinra ship. And on the ship, he meets up with uh, the rest of the team. At this point, the team of Cloud consists of Cloud, 
Tifa, Barrett, Ares, and Red. They I all have get, what? I think you get Yuffie too, can't you? I uh, yeah, I think at this point you could get Yuffie. Maybe She's I don't not. know. Can you? I don't know. I anyway, so. you're sneaking up on the ship. You're dressed. Everyone is dressed as Shin, Shinra soldiers. Shinra members, yeah. And they run into Sephiroth again on the on the ship. The alarms start sounding. The team thinks that they have been found. However, they find out that it's just Sephiroth. Oh, it's just Sephiroth. Just Sephiroth. Um, but when the team finds Sephiroth, Sephiroth it like says that he doesn't know who Cloud is. Like he's not recognized at all. But they end up fighting Sephiroth, who leaves behind a little piece, a little squirmy Genova tentacle. And yes. the ship docks into Costa del Sol. Costa del Sol. Uh, where they find a retired Hojo who tips them off about going west towards the Gold Saucer. So, uh, the oh, team... My least favorite part of the game. Yeah, I know. So, the team continues to make their way towards the Gold Saucer. At this point, they're heading west, following Sephiroth still. Uh, they make their way to North Coral, where Barrett is actually really hated uh, for the destruction of his town, and we'll we'll kind of talk about that. After Barrett is in in the town and is like disgraced, he's kind of embarrassed, and they make their way to the Gold Saucer, where Barrett kind of separates from the group. Cloud runs into Kite Sith, who joins the party kind of forcefully. Kite Sith is this like cat he's a doll. Moogle. He's a Moogle. I didn't know this for the longest time. Um, he's he's this little cat on top of this robotic Moogle doll, this enormous Moogle doll. Right. Yeah. And he's got he, a zipper. He's controlled by Reeves from Shinra, but you don't know that yet. You just know that he's being kind of weird. Anyway, eventually you also run into Dio, who is the owner of the Gold Saucer, and he tells Cloud about Sephiroth looking for the black materia and the only reason why he says this is because cloud is the same age as sephiroth like that's the only reason like he's like hey you're the same age as the other guy who was just in here who was looking for the black materia <laughs> like that's the only thing that that you go off of anyway later <laughs> when you go to the battle arena you come across uh Everyone is kind of dead. <laughs> Just kind of? Just kind of. Everyone is very dead. And <laughs> the survivors kind of talk about a man with a, gu with a gun arm. Now, obviously, the team doesn't want to think that Barrett is the problem, because Barrett also has a gun arm. But Barrett is still assumed to be the killer and is sent to the Gold Saucer prison or the Coral prison. Uh, and he's sent there by Dio, who also, because Cloud is associated with Barrett, they're also sent to the prison as well. So, when they go to the prison, Cloud confronts Barrett about the situation. Barrett is kind of forced into telling about his past. And this is the story about Barrett. <laughs> um, Barrett lived and worked in a small coal mining town named Coral, which is actually the prison that you're in. It, the only reason why it's a prison, by the way, is because it's a desert. So, like, the people who are in the prison can't leave because it's in this desert, but, like, you can't even get into it because it's a desert. It's like a desert barrier, but, like, 
it's the gold saucer is in the middle of the desert and you get there by like trolley line or yeah, like a like train thingy. gondola yeah, like a cart yeah a gondola <laughs> it's like the one time you'll actually use that word. i know <laughs> so anyway barrett is from coral and shinra tries to make a deal with the town to stop the coal mining in favor of making a mako reactor in town and they promise to pay all of the villagers their annual wages just because of this. Barrett's in favor of the idea because obviously, you know, I would like to live for free or, you know, get paid for doing nothing, where his friend Dane is against the idea. Um, however, Shinra does eventually build the reactor Shinra actually ends up setting fire to the town while Barrett and Dane are away. Barrett and Dane are coming back from wherever they're at. I don't know even what they were doing. But they see the fire in the distance and they try to make it back to town, but are confronted by Shinra. In an effort to escape, Barrett and Dane get their hands shot off and Dane falls into a cliff and is presumed dead. Obviously, he's probably not. However, back in the town, Barrett finds his wife and most of the village, well, some of the villagers dead, but... It's, it's Dine's wife, by the way. No, Barrett's wife, too. Barrett's oh, wife and Dine's, Dine's wife are both dead, but uh, Dine's daughter is still alive, who is Marlene. Barrett is shunned from the, the community for being an activist for the reactor, and because of this, like, deep hatred for Shinra for doing this, he grafts a gun onto his arm, leaves town to take revenge on Shinra. Anyway, back in the prison, back to current time, Dane is found to be the actual person responsible for the deaths, and Barrett ends up confronting him about that. Imagine that. Dane is the one <laughs> who, who did this whole thing. Another man who just happens to have a gun arm. Barrett tells Dane that Marlene is still alive, but Dane has, he's kind of in this mental state of giving up, and he fights Barrett. So after you fight Dane, Barrett tells him, oh, Marlene's still alive, we can go and see her together, and he just, Dane just, oh. like, kind of limps around and hands <clears throat> Barrett this pendant, which I think was, I like, think Marlene's mom or it, something. Yeah, I think he tells it, him to give it to Marlene, because it was her mom's. I think that might be why. And then he just, like, jumps off a cliff, and then that's it. <laughs> like, well, Marlene's your problem now. <laughs> yeah, kinda. So, yeah. the the way that you leave the Coral Prison is you have to win a Chocobo race. So, Cloud, he's kind of forcefully volunteered to do the Chocobo race, and is given a Chocobo race manager, who is Esther, Esther tells Dio about the situation and the mistake of identity of the killer, uh, with it being Dane and Dane doing all this. Anyway, um, after Cloud wins the Chocobo race, they are set free and given a buggy and apology letter by Dio himself, and the team leaves the, the prison. They eventually make their way to Cosmo Canyon which ends up being Red's hometown. And it's also this like retreat for people to learn about the planet. They find Red's grandfather. Bugenhagen. Bugenhagen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a worse, the worst time trying to pronounce that. Bugenhagen. He explains about the, the planet and the life stream. So like the planet has a life force called the life stream, 
which is also called Mako, right? Or is that, yes. I don't it's know. The, it's the life force and all of the knowledge and... Basically, it's spirit. And... Like, when, when people die, their spirit, their energy goes back into the life stream, back into the planet... And then when people are born and, and life is born, that life is pulled back out of the life stream and is given to that body. So, like, it's this equal exchange, but it's also, like, consciousness itself. The Cetra are able to tap into the life stream and access the knowledge yeah, of it's the planet. Full of memories and, lo- and knowledge. But also, uh, a concentration of that energy creates crystals, and that crystal is called materia, and the materia is used by fighters, I guess, to cast their spells and magic. So it's. Harness the magic. Bugenhagen explains this to the team and also kind of talks about if you suck all the life energy out of the planet, the planet will die. Which I think, you know, obviously is talking about Shinra pulling and, and using that life energy for electricity. Bugenhagen decides to open the Guy Cave or Jai or Gee to show Red who his father really was because Red has this like daddy issue. He kind of tells Red about his father's past, who ended up being a warrior who protected the canyon. And then Bugenhagen encourages Red to continue on his journey with Cloud to help protect the planet. Honestly, I think my least favorite dungeon was the Guy G- Guy Cave. Gee G Cave. G I Cave. <laughs> it's so dumb. And I don't honestly, I don't even like Red's story anyway. Well, and then it just like seems so not as important to the story, which is weird because Bugenhagen had a huge part to the story. Yeah, like Bugenhagen <clears throat> and Cosmo Canyon has this like big like planet like storyline, and then Red is just this like eh. You know, it's just like well, sloppily father, written. Because the Gi tribe was at war with them. It's just, they had its own little, like, backstory and everything, and it just was so, I don't know, it just didn't seem necessary, I guess. Yeah, it was, like, glossed over, definitely. I guess it was just their way of giving him some backstory, because they want to give everyone backstory. Well, Red also, he can live to be hundreds of years old or whatever. Currently in the game, he's, like, what, in his 40s or something like that? He's, like, 50 or something, yeah. But he's considered a teenager or something. Right. Can you Um, imagine being a teenager for 50 50 years? (laughs) It would be crazy. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. The team makes their way to Nibelheim, where they find the town to be completely restored after being in the fire. (laughs) Tifa and Cloud are super confused by all of this, and they find the town to be overrun by these black-robed and tattooed people. And all of the these people have different numbers on them, and they're talking about a reunion. Oh, and they're directing the party to the Shinra Mansion. When you go to the Shinra Mansion, you find Sephiroth. He talks about also asking Cloud if he's joining the reunion and tells Cloud that he's heading past Mount Nibble where he's going north. Basically giving you some direction to go. And some materia. And Oh yeah, he throws materia at you, that's right. And I think it's Earth? Destruct. 
Oh, is it destruct? Anyway, it doesn't. It really doesn't matter. It makes no difference to the story. The party ends up finding Vincent in the next room over, and after he is optional. But after finding out that the team is going after Shinra and Hojo and Sephiroth, Vincent decides to join the group. Kind of reluctantly, too, but he does help. They make their way past Mount Nibble, and they find Rocket Town, where they meet up with Sid inside an abandoned rocket. Imagine that, Rocket Town. Sid tells the team uh, about his story in Rocket Town. Basically... Sid was brought on by Shinra to pilot the rocket to do space exploration. His mechanic, Shira, Shira, forces Sid to abandon the flight. Uh, oh, sorry, abort the flight, not just abandon. He, like, the rocket is launching and he's forced to abort the mission altogether. Shinra ends up canceling the space program because of this, so Sid very much hates Shira and. She is kind of like his slave in some way, trying to pay back for, you know, this thing. And actually, she is mistaken as his wife at one point by Cloud, which I thought was funny. I thought the same thing. I did too. Sid tells the team that Rufus is on his way to talk to Sid. Sid is really excited that Rufus is coming, hoping that Rufus is going to start up the space program again. However, Rufus is only there to take the tiny Bronco because Rufus is trying to follow Sephiroth across the ocean. Uh, She-Ra ends up helping Cloud to steal the tiny Bronco before Rufus can get it, and Cloud and the others fly off into the distance with Sid just barely jumping on the tiny Bronco before it gets shot down by the Shinra soldiers crashing into the ocean. Your boat plane... Yeah, yeah. So plane boat. when the when the tiny Bronco goes down, it's it can't fly anymore, but you can use it to f- float around. So, I mean, it works. Sid ends up joining the team basically because he has no other reason not to, I guess. Because oh, I think he wants to leave Rocket Town behind. He really yeah. wants to do something else, and this is as good of any of a reason to do something else. I feel like his reasoning is the most strange out of all of them <laughs> to follow you guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's like, like oh, I'm old, I he, guess he's like, you guys are a bunch <laughs> of numbskulls. I like it. Let's do this. <laughs> like, really? He's still like one of my favorites. So. I know he is. He's mine too. <laughs> when Sid joins the party, he tells the group that Rufus was planning on heading to the temple of the ancients. Uh, again, just giving the group a destination. And they use the tiny Bronco to navigate the waters. Now, somehow they find out that they need a key to be able to enter the Temple of the Ancients. They meet a guy who tells them that Dio took the key to the Temple of the Ancients. And Dio, being the owner of the Gold Saucer, the team goes to the Gold Saucer. And they find Dio in the museum. Oh, Dio bought the key for his museum. Right. That's where they find the key. Cloud has to do a battle in the battle arena to prove that he's worthy of the key or something. And then they receive the key. However, it gets stolen by Kite Sith, who gives it back to Shinra. Now that Kite Sith is identified as a spy who's controlled by Reeves... The team still pushes on to pursue Shinra in the temple. However, like, Kite Sith sticks with the team, and I'm not really sure why they would do that. <laughs> like, like, 
you know, obviously he's revealed to be the spy and the team is just like, yeah. huh, all right, well, we'll keep you around. <laughs> I don't well, know. It's weird. His whole story is kind of... I don't know. The way the team handles it is like, he's necessary, but they're just like, I guess, but we're keeping our eye on you. Yeah, essentially, that's what it is. And I think that Kite Sith even uses that as an excuse. Like, I mean, I could leave, but like, I'm a direct connection with Shinra, so you should just keep me. Like, I don't know. It's just, anyway, they make their way to the Temple of the Ancients, and they find a wounded Tessing. I call him Tessing because- it is saying, but it has a T, so I've always Sing. called him Tessing. Tessing. Anyway, they find him at the entrance. He's wounded by Sephiroth. Um, he ends up giving the team the key so that they can go into the temple to find and fight Sephiroth. When they make their way to Sephiroth, Cloud goes into a spasm, and Sephiroth kind of reveals his plan to take the black materia and summon Meteor. The idea is to almost destroy the world so that the world will send all of its life stream to one point, to the point of impact. And that's where Sephiroth is going to be to absorb all of the life power. Like, that's the big thing. Like, Sephiroth wants to use the Black Materia to summon the the meteor to absorb the life energy of the planet to become a god. Like, that's his plan. Well, it's basically the th- what Genova does anyway, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that that's never really revealed in the game itself, but you find this out, and I think through other games in the series, or maybe some of the books, that this calamity from the sky basically goes from planet to planet, absorbing the life energy and moving on. So, like, that's the Genova in him. So anyway, Sephiroth manages to... he I don't know, Sephiroth just, like, leaves... And the team decides to take the Black Materia so that Sephiroth can't get it. Although, honestly, when I was reviewing this, I was thinking, guys, just leave it there. It's a perfect, like, safe place. But the team still manages to get the Black Materia. Basically, the Black Materia is the Temple of the Ancients itself. And to obtain the Black Materia, you have to solve a series of puzzles, which you don't actually do as a player, which is kind of funny. Kite maybe Sith, they intended to. Maybe. Kite Sith volunteers as he's a puppet remote controlled. So he volunteers to do the puzzles. And as you complete each puzzle, the temple gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it collapses in on itself, creating the Black Materia. Kite Sith does this. He gets crushed, creates the Black Materia. Cloud collects the Black Materia and is manipulated by Sephiroth to give him the materia, and then Cloud blacks out. I have a problem with this part. Okay, go. So, Kite Sith (laughs) offers to sacrifice his body. They act like he's dying. They don't really. Not really. What they do? They're like, this might be the last time. Well, he acts like it. This might be the last time you see me is this stuffed body. And I just want you guys to know that I really liked you guys, even though I was a spot. Like he's acting like he's dying, but he's not. Yeah. Right. Because as soon as the temple collapses, he just shows up again. Like, Hey, I'm kite Sith number two. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Just thought it was weird. It is. It is weird. No, it is weird. So after cloud gives Sephiroth the black materia and blacks out, 
Cloud has this dream that Ares goes off to um, stop Sephiroth on her own. And then he ends up waking up in Gongaga. Go, go, Gonga? Anyway. It's Gongaga. He, um, he finds that Ares actually did leave. While he's kind of afraid of himself and what he might do, they still, uh, the, the rest of the group persuades him to continue on to find Sephiroth and save Ares. So they head north to the city of the Ancients in pursuit of Ares. And when they finally do find Ares, who is praying, Cloud goes into another lapse of mindset and fights himself to not hurt Ares. However, in the struggle that Cloud's having, Sephiroth ends up falling from the ceiling because he's a spider and he impales Ares, killing her. Cloud obviously is distraught and goes to Ares. Sephiroth tells Cloud that he's nothing more than a puppet, and then they fight Genova, and Sephiroth leaves. Cloud ends up putting Ares to rest in a nearby lake in the City of the Ancients, uh, and decides to continue pursuing Sephiroth, obviously. They're basically following rumors to uh, the center of the North Crater, or the North... Uh, cavern or whatever. When they make it to the center of the crater, which is the impact site from Genova, uh, they they find all of these exhausted, hooded Sephiroth clones, and they're all, like, dying or dead. They end up finding the Black Materia again. Cloud gives one of your party members, and you kind of have a choice who you give it to. I ended up giving it to Barrett. Yeah, me too. You give one of your your party members the black materia because Cloud doesn't trust himself to hold it anymore. And then Sephiroth takes Cloud and Tifa through this illusion. Basically, Cloud like gives Barrett the the black materia and then continues on down the path to pursue Sephiroth. And then Sephiroth like puts them into this like illusion. Of the Nibelheim event. He's trying to convince Cloud that his memories aren't what they seem. And he shows Cloud somewhat the truth of, you know, it was Zack who was there. It wasn't Cloud. He's trying to persuade Cloud that he wasn't even there. He's really trying to convince Cloud that he doesn't exist as a person, that he is also just this Hojo experiment. However, because Tifa is there, she also has proof of his memories, but Sephiroth is trying to say, no, that that's the Genova cells that create memories and feed off of the memories of others. So, you know, Cloud is kind of left very confused and very weary. They try really hard to just fight whatever Sephiroth is telling him, saying, it's just an illusion. We don't have to believe what he's saying. It's just an illusion. Cloud eventually blacks out and pops up again in the northern crater or cave where Shinra is also investigating. Hojo was with him for some reason. I'm not really sure why. But he starts talking about how all the Genova cells are trying to are trying to be whole again, causing this reunion of, you know, Cloud and all of the failed experiments all joining back in this spot. Hojo recognizes Cloud as a failed experiment and that Cloud is being manipulated by Genova this whole time to make his way to this crater. 
Uh, Cloud is still kind of under the control of Genova and manages to convince Barrett to give him the Black Materia, where Cloud takes Black Materia to Sephiroth's real body, which is crystallized in Mako in the in the crater that you're in. He's naked. Oh yeah, he is naked, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Cloud gives Sephiroth the Black Materia, the ground begins to shake, and the party, not Cloud, but everyone else, manages to escape via the Shinra High Wind. As the High Wind flies away, these huge monster, or, you know, the weapons, uh, they escape from the crater and just nearly misses the High Wind. So, um, sorry, I was reading most of that, but I kind of want to break it down a little bit more. Uh, Cloud is under the control of Genova, and they make their way to the crater, but because Cloud is under the control of Genova, he ends up manipulating his friends to give Sephiroth the Black Materia. Sephiroth has been encased in Mako this whole time because of the original Nibelheim event, where he fell into the life stream and managed to make his way to the northern crater where he, you know, was trying to reunite with Genova. Well, that's where most of the the concentration of all the Mako and... Right, yeah, everything's going there, still trying to heal from the impact. So, yeah. Tifa wakes up five days later and finds herself back in Junon, captive by Shinra, Barrett shows Tifa that the meteor has in fact been summoned and that Sephiroth has sealed himself in the northern crater by some sort of energy barrier. Rufus tells the group that they are to be publicly executed uh, for the blame of aiding Sephiroth. I mean, obviously Shinra has to blame someone. Tifa goes to the gas chamber first, and that's when the alarm sounds that one of those monster weapons are approaching. Kite Sith manages to help Barrett escape, but they can't open the gas chamber with Tifa inside, so they leave because Kite Sith has a better idea. The weapon ends up attacking Junon just as Rufus gives the orders to fire the cannon. The weapon is temporarily disabled by the attack, however, continues its approach. Rufus orders for a second round of, you know, the cannon being fired, uh, but it takes time, so they have no choice but to wait. The weapon manages to get one more attack in, blowing a hole in the top of the Junon, like, facility. At the same time, the cannon fires for the second time, blowing the weapon's head off. Tifa manages to escape the gas chamber through a hole left by the weapon, and she leaps off the end of the cannon to catch a rope from the high wind that was captured by their group. So she joins the group back on the high wind with Barrett and Sid and Red and um, Vincent and Yuffie, if you've got them. I, I'm not going to talk about Yuffie at all throughout this whole story, just so you know. She's irrelevant. <laughs> well, what about, well, the whole of Wutai is kind of uh, important. <laughs> I know, exactly. So their goal now is to find Cloud. If you talk to Bugenhagen, he talks about how um, there are certain spots around the world where the life stream is closest to the surface of the world, and 
Medeal is one of those places. Cloud is actually found in Medeal in a clinic, but he has Mako poisoning, and he's kind of left in this coma-like state, like, very much disabled. Tifa decides to stay with Cloud to care for him, and Kite Sith helps the rest of the group with inside information on Shinra. Now, Kite Sith tells the group that Shinra is trying to collect huge materia from all of the reactors around the world to make a bomb to destroy the meteor. Now, I'm not really sure why the group wants to stop Shinra. It seems like they mentioned that it's just a waste of Mako and that they don't want to see that, like, thrown out into space or whatever. But anyway, the group wants to head off Shinra, trying to gather the materia first. One of the stops is they have to stop a speeding train from crashing into North Coral, where, you know, the rest of Barrett's hometown is. And then the other one is Fort Condor, where there's a phoenix on top of the reactor where they have to save the phoenix from Shinra attacking or whatever. It's really dumb. It's a really dumb side quest. I don't think it's quest. actually a phoenix. I think it's just a condor, like a huge one. Uh, Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You're given phoenix as a reward for doing it, so I kind of just assumed that it was a phoenix, mm-hmm. but maybe not. Because the condor dies, and then the egg hatches at the same time. Kind right. of this death-rebirth, you know, thing. Right. Anyway... The group stops back in to check with Cloud and Tifa just as the ultimate weapon attacks the the town, creating a huge crack in the earth leading to the life stream. And wouldn't you know it, Cloud and Tifa fall in. Tifa and Cloud experience this, like, life stream illusion thing. <laughs> and Tifa has to help Cloud determine the truth of his past and the events of Nibelheim, and basically trying to piece Cloud back together again. After Tifa makes all these revelations about Cloud's, like, true past, I've already kind of talked about it, you know, that Cloud was actually in the Nibelheim event, and, you know, Cloud's history as a child, wanting to join Soldier to help Tifa, all that. Cloud and Tifa are found by the group washed up ashore in Medeal in the ruins. They regain consciousness and then they all go back to the Highwind. Cloud confronts the rest of the team about his real past and um, he has this new drive to save the planet and to stop Sephiroth more than anything else. We're almost done, guys. I know it's hard to believe, <laughs> but, but we are. So the next like focus is to finish stopping Shinra from getting huge materia. Now with Cloud back in the party, they follow Shinra to Junon to the underwater reactor, and they find that the huge materia is being loaded onto a submarine. Cloud hijacks a second submarine and guns down the first one that's carrying the huge materia and they're able to collect it. They then make their way to Rocket Town, where the huge materia is being loaded up into the rocket with the goal of blowing up the meteor with the rocket. Shinra launches the rocket with an autopilot, but they end up carrying the team off into outer space. I think you're forced to have Sid in the in the group. Yeah. 
during this time. I always did, so I didn't know. So Cloud gathers the huge materia, and the team manages to escape the rocket via an escape pod that's conveniently placed. The rocket does end up hitting the meteor, but the meteor quickly recovers and continues on to Earth, so it's still falling. The rocket didn't do anything. I would. Ass- I, I wonder what would happen if Cloud didn't bother trying to get the huge materia, if it would blow up the meteor. Probably not, but that's not how the events go. So, after collecting all the huge materia, you go back to Mugenhagen, who shows the team... Uh, I don't know, I guess he just wants to take the team to the Temple of the Ancients because he has this theory about how to stop the meteor. So he asks the team to take him to the Temple of the Ancients where they need to require a key from the bottom of the ocean to be able to see this like projection from the Temple of the... or the City of the Ancients. Have I been saying the Temple this whole time? It's City. Anyway, (laughs) when you use the key, you have this projection where you can see that holy is the the way to protect against the meteor. And you find that Ares, she summoned holy before she died. And she had been carrying holy with her this whole time. But they realize that the only way for Holy to actually fully work is if Sephiroth is defeated first. As they're leaving the city, the team is told by Kite Sith another weapon is approaching Midgar. They kind of have this struggle where they want to just like let Midgar go. <laughs> yeah, to just like let let Midgar go, That's get destroyed. Powers. However, Kite Sith really does have you know, a moral, uh, Reeves really, who's part of Shinra has morals. They want to stop the weapon from destroying the town. Also, they, they evacuated everyone to the slums, right? Well, that wouldn't help much if the, um, the weapon crushes the city. They also find out that the cannon from Junon was transferred to Midgar. (laughs) Now that it's in Midgar, it's called the Sister A. (laughs) And they're not really sure if the cannon's going to be ready to fire in time before the weapon makes it, so they decide to hurry to Midgar to confront the weapon before it makes it to Midgar. So they actually go, they fight the weapon, but the weapon continues its crawl. The weapon shoots first, but the Sister A shoots kind of at the same time. The weapon's energy rays blows up the Shinra building, and you assume that Rufus is dead at this point. The sister ray blasts the hole through the center of the weapon and continues its shot towards the northern cave where it disables Sephiroth's shield. Kite Sith then tells the team that the sister ray is still increasing in power and that Hojo is at the top conducting this increase in power with the plan to shoot the cannon a second time. But because it's too soon and that Hojo is using too much power, they're worried that it's going to destroy Midgar. So the team decides to pursue Hojo and they infiltrate Midgar. So the entire team parachutes down into Midgar, making their way to the top of the Sister A, where they run to the Turks for the last time, and then they eventually make it to Hojo, who is controlling the Sister A. Hojo talks about trying to supply 
Mako to Sephiroth, trying to send him as much energy as possible, but also that Hojo has injected himself with Genova cells. So Cloud and the team has to kill Hojo, who is now a monster, and then they shut down the Sister A. Now that the barrier to the Northern Cave is gone, the team is able to fly the Highwind to the crater and fight Sephiroth. The team has to fight Genova first, then they do end up fighting Sephiroth himself, who is this, like, monster first, but then you fight, like, the one-winged angel version of Sephiroth. When Sephiroth is finally defeated, the cave begins to collapse, but Cloud has one last fight with Sephiroth, and this fight... I kind of want to talk about it a little bit and debate with you, Kaylee. I I don't really know what the deal is, but like the structure starts to fall away and Cloud jumps up and grabs Tifa's hand. However, his like consciousness is like pulled away from his body and he flies back into the crater and confronts Sephiroth. But, like, I don't really understand why the consciousness thing happened. I don't know if it's the life stream or what. Did you catch that? I just assumed that he was being taken to the actual Sephiroth. Yeah, but, like, maybe maybe just, like, a spirit fight? <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It is kind of hard to tell. Because he goes through the live stream, but after you defeat Sephiroth, you see what you assume is Ares' hand. Maybe she's pulling his consciousness out, and then you see Tifa reaching her hand out, and she physically helps tries to help pull him out yeah that's true so i think it was just kind of paralleled there so i guess really yes they their consciousness was probably fighting each other i really don't know how that would work but so anyway um sephiroth is defeated once and for all uh by cloud who does omni slash this really cool event and that's when we get our awesome final ending cutscene. Basically, even though Sephiroth is defeated, the meteor is still crashing to Earth. The meteor is falling straight towards Midgar. Just then, Holy rushes out from the northern crater and protects Midgar, but just barely. Um, Holy is unable to fully dispel the meteor and is just about to dissipate when the planet sends all of its life stream energy to break apart the meteor. Then that's it. Basically, everyone is saved. (laughs) So after the credits roll, you see 500 years later, Red is running off to a cliff with his two little red cubs, and uh, you see Midgar in the distance in ruins and covered by vegetation, and that's pretty much it was it 500 years later yeah it was 500 years later Hmm. all right so the story was long-winded i'm really sorry about that hopefully we gave you the gist of what it's supposed to be there's a lot of odds and ends in here and there are some things that you know even going back through the story i'm like i don't really know why we did this (laughs) but in the moment of the game you realize you know you you know why you're doing what you're doing because of all the dialogue that's involved but like when you're going through just event to event you're like wait why why did we go here why did we do that but overall i mean it's it really is a good story and it's interesting the way that they use these different like plot twists with cloud and you know, I don't know. It's cool. 
What what did you give it for a story first off, Kaylee? I gave it a 9 out of 10. Okay. I liked I liked that one of the nice things about the story which I think what makes it unique is the fact that you are just as confused as Cloud is because his memories all jumbled up. And playing through this after having already played through it, it kind of fills in some of those holes that you know, you don't you don't really catch because if you don't when you first play, you don't actually acknowledge that oh, Cloud's not all there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Um but I think that's kind of like explaining the story. There's just so much because it's all jumbled because his memory's all jumbled. Yeah, so really I like is. that about that. When I, I kind of feel like that the story is similar to the story of like a time travel story because you know the first time you hear about the event is cloud's point of view post event like the the nibbleheim event which is like the core of the game right um you hear about it first through cloud's like altered point of view so then when you start hearing about it again and you start piecing it together you're just as like you said you're just as confused as cloud confused as cloud is and once you start piecing it together and you start figuring out what really happened, it's, I don't know, it, it's like this revelation of, oh my gosh, you know, Cloud's been through a lot, poor guy. Right. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I gave it, I gave the story a 10 out of 10. It's, it's just, it's a really strong story. And like, yeah, there are bits and pieces that don't quite add up, like Kite Sith's, you know, why why would you leave Kite Sith in the group after he betray- betrayed the entire group, you know? Why would you do that? On the other hand, I really liked Reeve. I just wish he had more story, I guess. I wish that Reeve himself was more important than Kite Sith. Because well, he was an important character, because he was given the team the intel when he finally kind of converted over. Reeve... His story is that he basically was the head of the development, the housing development in Midgar. And so his priority is the civilians, is the, you know, is the population of Midgar. So anything, you know, like the, the collapse of Sector 7, he was against that. But, like, the president forced him to take a vacation you know like there there are those things like obviously he too sees the twisted you know aspect of shinra but it it, what's weird to me is that like he acts like this good guy when you meet up with uh cloud when he meets up with cloud as kite sith but like he still spies on cloud in the group and like steals the the key back from the group like I guess how much involvement does Shinra as the company have with Kite Sith and Reeve as a person? You know, I guess that's my question. I mean, he still needs to do his job. <laughs> right, yeah, I get that, but it, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's weird. The whole scenario is odd to me. Because even afterwards, like there's that moment where Cloud is when when Hojo is taking over the sister ray and 
Reeve is like in the heat of that conversation with the other Shinra officials. You know, at this point, Rufus can't be can't be contacted because he's probably dead. And the other Shinra officials are like, well, we're just going to do whatever we want to do and, you know, whatever. And Reeve is the only one who's like, you guys need to know that, like, all of Midgar could collapse if Hojo fires the sister A. And then he starts talking with Cloud and the group um, over, like, the Kite Sith walkie-talkie. And he's using the Kite Sith, like, because Kite Sith has a, like, Scottish accent. And he actually, Reeve gets confused when he's talking with the other Shinra people and is using his his um, Scottish accent. <laughs> it's just, it's this weird, like, how much, how much influence does Shinra as a company have on Kite Sith? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I, I don't understand. Because he acted like... Well, the cat's out of the bag now. Like, Kite Sith is known to be Reeve by the Shinra people, but like, shouldn't Shinra already know about that? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't think it was uh, explored very well, and it might be like later on in games, but <clears throat> they might I, fix a few of these things yeah. in the remake, and I'll be curious to see how they do that. But still, it's small potatoes compared to the overall story. Sure, like. The Small overall potatoes. story is amazing. I just enjoyed it all the way through. I thought Red's story was a little weak. Um, you know, they tattooed the number 13 on him, which the other like, reunion people, they had tattoos of numbers too. It makes you wonder if Red also had Genova cells. Right. I, I agree. I thought that was interesting, <clears throat> but they didn't explore anything of that. No, not at, just, all. not at all. You don't really know much of anything about Red. Not really. Not really. <laughs> you know yeah. about his dad and this tribe art war that happened, and that's about it. Yeah, they left it very open ended there. Which he's a lion, tiger, dog <laughs> thing. Like <laughs> they were like, well, I don't really know how to explain this, so we'll just let it go, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that that was weird. Uh, well, but when you think of when you think of the story as a whole, like the only the only characters that really matter are Cloud and Tifa and Ares, and that's about it. Like, Which that's true, but then if you're gonna shell out a character, uh, it, it just that s- specific information just seems so strange to be like, yeah, we'll explain this, but that's about it. Like really, <laughs> Barrett's involvement is like they needed a character, but like they they needed a character to fill a very specific role in Midgar. But like after the Midgar stuff, Barrett is irrelevant, right? And like they throw like all the other stuff at like the gold saucer. That's all like side quest stuff, really. I mean, it's it's not. It, it does pertain to the main story to a small degree, but like honestly, if I told that whole story again without Barrett's backstory and without like right. Sid's backstory and maybe without like Vincent's backstory, like it, the story still makes sense. <laughs> like you know, I mean, it does, but like. Your party, 
you, you it, but the, this whole thing could not have come to fruition just it wouldn't at least wouldn't be believable just by Cloud and Tifa alone. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so you still got to shell that, out backgrounds right, for these people. Right. And and it adds content to the game. I'm just saying as a story overall, like sure. like the holes in Red's backstory are really irrelevant. They just needed somebody like they needed a link between Bugenhagen and the group. And Red was that you know, that sure. connection. I mean, same with like Sid, like they needed, they needed a character who could satisfy that, like, you know, the space aspect and like some of that travel stuff. And I don't know. They, I, I don't know. <laughs> the story, the story as the main story is, I still really enjoyed it. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Like it was just extra what made the story better. Right. Yeah. I mean, all, <clears throat> sure. all those, like, like Red's backstory is irrelevant to the main story. It's just a backstory. You know, it didn't really hinder you like, yeah, I, I would have preferred more of it. I would have preferred like, how did Red get captured? How, you know, what happened right. to him? Like, you know, some of that kind of stuff, but it's really irrelevant to the main story as a whole. And the main story as a whole was beautiful. Like, it didn't need right. side, I agree. side story stuff. What I liked, that despite their backstory, whether you liked them or not, how unique some of these characters were. Like, Red 13, because, you know, he wasn't just the animal mascot. Like, he was his own character. I liked that about, like, he wasn't cliche, I guess. You know what I mean? I think the big thing about each character is that they're all, they all have this connection to Shinra, you know? Sure. I don't know. I, I think it's kind of rare when you really like with, uh, with the exception of Yuffie. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> where, true. Actually, where you really like almost all of the characters. Cause you, you mean, there's a, <laughs> While there's all sorts of different personality types, as far as characters go, you know how you kind of have an annoying character sometimes, which, in my opinion, is Yuffie. Yeah. <clears throat> but even then, she's not terribly annoying. It's not terribly cliche on some of these characters. Like, they, they're they all interesting in their own way, and I like that. Yeah, each character definitely has depth. Honestly, I feel like they have more depth than any of the Final Fantasies prior to this game. You oh know, yeah, absolutely. One through six, like they all, all the characters have some, like some of them have backstories, some of them don't very well, some of them have decent personality, a lot of them don't. Where this game, all of your main characters have a ton of personality, and you know whether you like them or not, like Yuffie, you can you can hear her annoyingness, yeah. like <laughs> Barrett, you can hear how Black Barrett is, like Ooh. like. Kite Sith, you can almost hear his Scottish accent. Like, I don't know. It's just... Uh, th that's what makes it fun. Sure. Um, so, yeah. Nine what, out of ten. You know, the, the Genova thing was kind of confusing. Like, even... I guess for me, it's like the, the technicalities of Cloud's memories getting mixed up with, with Zach's. And like the the main theory that I've heard is that there there's multiple theories on what's going on with Cloud and Zack's memories. One of them is coming directly from the game, and that's when Sephiroth says that the Genova cells directly impact 
the memory of its host. But at the same time, when when Sephiroth says this, he is trying to convince Cloud that Cloud is a puppet Wait. and has no usefulness. So, like, how much do you believe what Sephiroth was saying? Another thing that I've heard is that the um, when when Cloud was being transferred from Nibelheim to um, to Midgar with Zack, that Zack tells Cloud everything that happened from Zack's point of view um, in the Nibelheim event. And because Cloud was in this, like, mental distraught state, this, you know, the mecho poisoning, that he got confused with what his memories were with what Zack's memories were. So, like, there's a theory in there, too. So, it's like, I don't really know what the deal is between the two, you know? I I guess I just assumed... <sighs> I really don't know. It is kind of strange. <laughs> I always assumed that the Mako had something to do with it, <clears throat> but they weren't really like together. So I don't know. It is really hard to explain that, but you know, you really had to dig for that. You didn't have to really dig, but you really had to go backtrack for that Zach scene to even find out about what happened as far as why his memories are all muddled up with Zach's anyway. Right. Yeah. There's like one, there's one opportunity to see that cutscene with Zach and you know, you where, where you really get the story of what happened after the Niflheim of or Nibelheim event and before the start of the game with cloud. And if you don't go to the Shinra mansion at this very specific time, you miss this cutscene altogether. Um, so basically, as soon as Cloud and Tifa um, have their like their live stream like a thing happen, where they both right. fall into the live stream, when they get back and you have control of the high wind, you have to go straight to Nibelheim or yeah, Nibelheim. And go to the basement, and then it triggers this cutscene. And that's like the only time you get to see it. And I miss, I've missed it every single time up to this playthrough where I finally watched this stupid cutscene in, you know, actual gameplay. Right. And it was, it was a moment. Like I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, you know, this, this bit of story that I know so well. And I'm just now seeing it for the first time. You know, it was, it was interesting. I, I feel like that scene really should have been mandatory. I agree <laughs> because, because it explains so much. Right. But like, even the whole Zach thing is very hidden. Like you have to look at, like, if you, if you look through all the research papers that are in the Shinra right. mansion or in the lab down in the library area, yeah, you actually see, you know, bits and pieces of the story of, like, they found Cloud and Zack and that, like, they were being subject to um, the Genova cells and, like, they... You see on the, if you go to the like tanks around the back of the, 
the there's like a table there. If you go back to the tanks, you see that there's written on the tanks like we should escape and we'll do it during feeding time or whatever. So like you can see these like you can see the moments like unfolding in all the different research, but then you have that cutscene and it just wraps everything up. And it's really amazing that they didn't just make that mandatory in the story. Maybe they I just agree. couldn't figure out a way to get you back to the Shinra Mansion for something. Maybe. Uh, I just think that without it, this, I mean, because I can't tell how much of this is I'm like letting it pass because I already know the backstory from what they've built on. But like, if you don't know that part, like Zach is just almost a nobody. Yeah. He. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's so, bits and pieces of like. Zach having a relationship with Ares and there's bits and pieces of like Zach's hometown in Gogaga, but like nothing other than that. Yeah. It's weird. There's like just very small references to it. And he's such an important person. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I mean, I get that, you know, they made, they made crisis core. Now they made crisis core 20 years after final fantasy seven, or was it 10? I don't, I think it was 10 years. Anyway, they made, they made crisis cores quite a while after final fantasy seven was released where they like deep dive into the story of who Zach was. But like in doing so, I feel like they really changed the way the story was told with all the inclusion of all these other characters. So I think that that's really bizarre to me, but you know, that's, that's not what final fantasy seven, this game that's, that's right. I don't know. There's a lot to it. I like that. There's a lot to it. Yeah. It's not to me. It's not too terribly much, but it's enough to quench your thirst. I feel like from beginning to end, everything that you're doing, there is a sense of urgency. So you're constantly like, oh my gosh, we have to go and do this because Sephiroth is heading that way. Or, you know, the pillar is going to explode and we have to hurry up and do this. And there's very little relax. And like maybe the only real relax scene or event that you do is with Ares and you're like going on a date and you're just yeah. like, it's chill, <laughs> you know, we didn't talk about that hardly at all either. I don't know. I kind of zoomed past that stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm curious. I never really felt like cloud had any feelings for Tifa whatsoever until this playthrough. And now I'm kind of confused. <laughs> You're kind of confused. The baby cloud that is Nibelheim before he leaves to go to Soldier or try to join Soldier, he has this like feelings for Tifa uh, and he makes that clear like that he wants to, you know, be strong to help protect Tifa. But like after he meets Ares, all that's kind of thrown out and like Ares is the like we need to protect Ares and you know, she's, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, but you it's, know, it's interesting. It kind of, it kind of goes back to what exactly is happening inside his brain because he's kind of taken on the Zach persona. Now how he is my influence. Well, maybe that's why he's so into Ares. Interesting. Yeah. I never <clears> thought of it that way. Huh? Because <laughs> 
I I kind of felt like Tifa wasn't into Cloud until he had like called her out to the well and stuff cuz the flashbacks she really doesn't have much to do with him. No, not until at all. the till they have their like talk. I think she even admits to that because she was she I feel like that there was a bit of dialogue where she talks about how after he left for the war, she was thinking about him all the time. Or not for the war, but left to join Shinra. That she was thinking about him all the time and was very disappointed that he never wrote to her. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. And again, I don't want to talk too much about the remake, but I'm really curious to see how they're going to handle some of this in the remake. Yeah. So interesting. One of the only other things that I kind of wanted to talk about um, is each character had their own desire for being in the group, and I like when I've seen a few Final Fantasies do this now, where each of the main characters have their own reason for pursuing Sephiroth and joining Cloud and continuing on. Like for Cloud, it's to stop Sephiroth. Like point blank, that's the only reason what he's doing. Like he he doesn't seem like he's really interested in the planet. It's just like win win. You know, like I'm gonna stop Sephiroth, but the planet will also be saved. Where like Barrett is out to specifically stop Shinra. But again, it's all it's all a win-win. Like if we stop Sephiroth, we're gonna pursue Shinra, we're gonna stop everything, you know, sort of thing. Tifa just kind of wants to be with Cloud more than anything else. Like right. I don't feel like like she does care about the planet a little bit. She does hate Shinra enough, but like her big thing is she just wants to be with Cloud. <laughs> and that was kind of sweet to me. Well, um Yeah. Red wants to save the planet because of his background. He just you know, his his grandfather wanted him to save the planet, which by the way, um, did you get the cutscene where Bugenhagen dies? I specifically didn't do it because I just didn't care to, but oh, I do I, I do it remember it. Too sad. <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> no, I, but I do remember it. I yeah, if I don't do it, it didn't did happen, it. right? What? <laughs> if I didn't if I didn't do that scene, he didn't die, right? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's he's still alive. So yeah. Um, so yeah, Red just wants to save the planet. Yuffie, her only backstory is that she wants to be stronger and wants to like gather materia. Like that I, was the only reason she joins the team I, is to steal the group's materia. I think it has something to do with Wu Tai as well, but they don't make it clear enough. Like they they didn't really shell out much about the Wu Tai War. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think that. She also wants to stop Shinra because her dad is, like, the leader of Wu-Tai, right? Right. And Wu-Tai wants to, like... Or Wu-Tai is this, like, tourist attraction now. And, you know, I think they want to restore honor to their... Right. To their town. So I'm sure that that's a part of it, too. But, like, I didn't do a whole lot with UV, so I didn't really care. Sid also just wants to stop Shinra because of the whole rocket thing. Vincent specifically wants to kill Hojo because of everything he did to Lucretia, who he was in love with. And everything that he did to Vincent as well because he's this, like, half-monster thing. And then Kite Sith, who is part of Shinra, really just wants to save lives. He just wants to stop Shinra from killing people. And I think that that's his biggest reason for 
sticking with the group outside of being a spy. <laughs> right. And then there's Ares who didn't make it. She, well, <laughs> I think the biggest reason she joined the group was because she, I think was like looking for the adventure and trying to get away from Shinra to some degree. But like, what reason did she have to go with cloud away from Midgar? Like, I don't really know outside of just, I want to see this through sort of thing. I think, well, when you leave, you know, the tower, everything collapses and then you end up in the Shinra building. And I think at that point, it's just a matter of escaping. Like everyone escapes together. So they leave and then it becomes more of a doing it for the planet kind of thing because she is connected with the planet or at least can communicate with it. And I think it just kind of she's always been like communicating but i don't think it really blossomed until all of this happened yeah that's true so she she liked cloud too so yeah when when you go to the temple the or uh, yeah the temple of the ancients she has this conversation with this like well of knowledge i assume it's like a, a pool of mako or life stream or something and she has this conversation with them about about Sephiroth being there and like they have this cut scene where you see you're you're kind of like in a an illusion where you can see Sephiroth fighting testing right. in the like chamber or whatever and um she kind of has this like moment where I I wonder and they don't say but I wonder if the the temple of the ancients, if the wisdom of the ancients told her about Holy. Oh, maybe. Because when she's there, she has Holy the whole time. So, like, you would think that the knowledge well, of the ancients would tell her, like, something's going to happen. The black materia is going to be, you know, stolen. I mean, I, it's speculation. I well, just, you, you know. She, she specifically tells Cloud because he asks her if she knows how to use materia. And she says she has material, but it's good for absolutely nothing. Right. And yeah. he just tells her it's because she doesn't know how to use it. And she says, no, it, it just it doesn't do anything. Well, she must learn at some point what it actually is, obviously. And how to use it. Right. 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 But I mean, yeah, she, when she's at the Temple of the Ancients, I'm sure there's a lot of... <laughs> well, she can communicate with the little guys and stuff so i mean the they explain what they were but they they were like caretakers of the temple and stuff oh right yeah those little people so i'm sure she gets a lot of i'm sure well you know clyde passes out for a few days so i'm sure she has a lot of time to be like which would be great if they could explore that in the remake yeah (laughs) exactly yep her leaving and right yeah, yeah so i don't know so I mean, story-wise, I really enjoy piecing it together this time through. Again, this is, like, my second time of really playing it full-on, you know, straight through. And I really enjoy piecing it together this time. Like, I had so much fun figuring out these little clues and hints and tips that they threw at me throughout the game that I'm like, oh, you know? Right. Yeah. I agree. So, I guess we we move on. We talk about something <laughs> other than story. Graphics. Yeah, let's talk about graphics. So, I gave it an 8 out of 10 for graphics. <laughs> You're going to laugh at me, 
but I gave it a nine out of ten. <laughs> you know, Final Fantasy VII gets a bad reputation for its graphics, and I understand why because the character models are terrible. <laughs> and there's no way of overlooking it. Like people have added Blockings. mods into some of the other like ports of the game to make them look better, and they don't. They still look weird. Um, I think it's just an unavoidable, this is just the way the game was made. And it, it definitely becomes charming over time. Like if they aren't blocky now, they just look funny. So like you accept the blockiness, but it definitely doesn't look great. The googly eyes. <laughs> yeah. The googly eyes are really bad. <laughs> And I understand, you know, they had their limitations. It was super early in the PlayStation era, and I I understand, but it looks so bad sometimes. Yeah, it looks pretty bad, and I <laughs> I didn't score high on that reason, and I know I probably should have, but I felt like I watched a video a while back where they like pulled apart everything that went into like the map and how they got some of the the like summon animation to happen and all that. And I kind of appreciate there's 16 summons, by the way, (laughs) 16 summons. That's a lot of time to be putting into that kind of stuff. And they've got different animations for magic. There's a lot of magic and I, I, and, and the, uh, the, the videos, the, uh, the FMVs, yep. um, I really liked the, I mean, just aside from the, the regular gameplay graphics, the, just the time put in to the backgrounds in both the game and the videos, like, like the scene with Sephiroth falling out, like his body falling like he's encapsulated into the materia and he falls yeah. out. He, that whole thing was awesome. Yeah, it was. And like the time put into all the weapons, like they looked awesome. They all were different and cool looking. And I don't know. They, they did a really good job at making the slums look slummy and the regular part of the city fine and industrial and Junon looked very military based. Like they executed a lot of this really well. I thought I, they they took time to the details and I appreciated that. Absolutely. And that's why it still gets high marks. Like right. yeah, the the character models look terrible, but that's like the worst of it. Like the right. the pre-rendered background the pre-rendered backgrounds are amazing in every single scene. The detail that they put into it are amazing. Right. And you were talking about the summons. Every summon, there's sixteen of them, right? Every right. single one has their own like small FMV that plays. Like, right. It's it's amazing, and you can you can command those at any point. And some of them, like Knights of the Round and Bahamut Zero, are crazy long. I know. So Knights I mean, around, it's just man. it's amazing. It's so cool that they put. They really did. They really did put a lot of effort into making this game look as good as they possibly could. It's just sad that the character models, the thing it's that so you bad. see <laughs> right out of the gate, just look terrible. You know now, those those little models 
<laughs> they managed to put a lot of emotion into them. Yeah, I know. It's a the spe- animation that they use. Specifically Tifa, though. Like, I felt like a few times, like, when she falls into the live stream, she's, like, circling while she's, like, floating, I guess. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I thought that was kind of a cool animation. There's an animation she does where she's embarrassed or... I know you hated this, but when she was all flirty with Cloud, yeah, she, she had keeps her own perking little... her boobs out. <laughs> she did that all the time. Like, look, look, here they are. I but... did notice that in one of the um, in one of the FMVs, like, I think it's one that where they're all in the high wind, and the jiggle physics on Tifa's boobs are intense. <laughs> I specific like it's hard to not notice. <laughs> I I need to go. You'll have to send me a video. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, it's it was really funny. It was really funny. Oh, the sizing on the world map is kind of off. That that bugged me a little bit. Where like you know your character was about the same size as the town. <laughs> oh well, your character's like about the same size as the high wind, and your chocobo is even bigger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was a little. It was a little off, but you know, it was kind of fun mo- uh, drive around the high wind. Oh yeah, <laughs> it it's so much fun. fun to ride around on the, the high wind. Is so fast. Yeah. So and, uh, I don't. I liked the submarine stuff where you could go underwater. Yeah, it's like a whole another cool. area that you can explore. Um, I mean, really, in the battles, the character models in the battles look great. They just look weird on the normal screen. <laughs> Well, they redid mine for oh, my right. version, yeah. so they looked actually a lot better, believe it or not. Hmm. <clears throat> um, they did. Did your characters have mouths? <laughs> um, like the normal, like yes, the normal character. I mouth. don't think so. Mine a couple times did. <laughs> it looked huh. kind of funny sometimes. That's interesting. Um. Oh, I don't know if this falls under graphics, but I loved that you could uh ride the chocobo races with cloud and tifa or not cloud and tifa uh, sid and tifa Sid and tifa yeah i could in mine and actually sid wanted to ride the chocobos all the time i know let the man ride his chocobos dude <laughs> he wanted to do it all the time and it drove me crazy <laughs> like i swear as soon as i got a new bird I, I like i got the gold chocobo and the first like six races he's like can i can i can i can ride i go it? can i go like no <laughs> dude it's my turn <laughs> <laughs> you I get the gold chocobo. <laughs> Can I do it? Is it my turn yet? So yeah, I, I mean the graphics—they really, they really were good. I, it gets a bad reputation because of the blocky character models, but that's like the worst of it. I yeah, I think that a lot of detail in a lot of places, especially like the wall going yeah, up the walls. The wall just there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think they did awesome. Really, um, the the overworld was a little bit pixely, and yeah. the, like the Marsh. high wind, the high wind looks a little weird because of how pixely it is. Don't get me wrong; it looks amazing, and like the cutscenes for it are really, really good. But like you know, the overworld sprite for it looks a little pixelated and weird. Um, same with like the tiny Bronco when it's floating through the water, and yeah. like it's really jagged and pixelated and weird. But again, I mean. You know, that's small potatoes for the whole thing. Small potatoes. Small potatoes. (laughs) Yeah. So you want to move on to gameplay? 
Sure. I gave it a nine. Me too. Um, I can't really say there was a whole lot that it bothered me about the gameplay. Um, I think like maybe the battle system was. It's funny because the battle system had so much going for it. Like, any character could be whatever you wanted to be. However, every character was, like, same on a base level. Like, you could literally pick, you know, if you, like, when Ares left, you literally just swap out the materia to another character, and boom, Ares is back. Like, there's not much difference outside of, like, your um, limit breaks. I think that's their way of... There's no job class aside from their weapon choice. Mm-hmm. But I think that I th- I liked like the materia system in general. Oh yeah, I did too. But the problem was there was way too much to choose from. <laughs> and but just like that, not enough spots. <laughs> that changes like your possible battle strategies. Yes. Like you I know, you could go into a fight with like uh, you know, blow them up with summons, or you could go into a fight with like, well, we're gonna be strategic and have like a tank character, and he's gonna I, use yes. cover all the time. You know, stuff I like agree. that. I agree, because if to me, it's both good and bad depending on how you look at it. It's either there's way too much going on, or on the other hand, it gives you a lot of different strategies to you know you. My final battle was embarrassing. <laughs> Mine too. It was just straight up embarrassing. I wiped him out. I did. I, I set up my characters for one round of attacks and was done. Yep. It was embarrassing. Yep. And that's you know the material system. It's fun because I can go through and decide what I want on my characters. There's a lot to choose from. A lot I didn't use. And I feel like, I, you know, I leveled up some of these things, but for what? Right. I think, though, on the flip side, it's good because if you don't care, if you just are there to beat the game and you don't really want to take the time to learn the system, it really is kind of basic enough where you could make it just good enough to just get through the game. Honestly, I feel like, more or less, I could have beat the game on attacking alone. Oh, really? Like, with, with, like cover and counterattack and all that stuff not even like just attack like mm-hmm. it definitely it made it quicker to play the game with like using your magic system and like enemy skills were amazing just leveling up seemed really easy to the point where if you just leveled up maybe five ten maybe uh, yeah five or ten above where you needed to be you were set for the rest of the game. Like, there was, you know, very, very easy to keep up with the leveling. Right. So, therefore, once you're over-leveled, you just attack everything, and you stay over-leveled, and you don't run from anything, and you'll you'll never have a problem again. <laughs> that said, I don't know what the final boss would be like just attacking, but still, I think it could be done. But, you know, going back to the final boss, for me, too, I set Knights of the Round... And mimic for <laughs> for the final boss. I did Knights of the Round twice, and he was dead. Yeah, both forms, both forms. Yeah, and that was it. That's all it took. And I was blown away. Like I could not believe how easy it was, and it was almost embarrassing. Like I I made no effort. It just yeah. it was sad. It was really really sad. 
I we had kind of talked about this earlier, and I I think it would be interesting to go back and see how much Knights of the Round is it is it too overpowered? Would it oh, made I'm the sure battle better? That's got to be what it is. I I I am tempted to go back through and just fight the final fight yeah. without using Knights of the Round and just see, you know, like because. You could use Quadra Magic with Ultima and Mimic and have a very similar effect to Knights of the Round, but like Knights of the Round is so OP. Yeah. Like it does I can't remember the count. It's like what, twenty rounds or something like that? And they all do very close to nine nine nine. Nine 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 nine. So, you know, it's 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 crazy. It's way overpowered. Yeah. But you know, that said with leveling up and the leveling system with the materia, it would take a lot to a hundred percent this game. You know, oh yeah, absolutely. To find all the materia, then level up all the materia. And some of them are, are kind of nasty to try and level up. So, you know, there's, there's a lot that could still be done as far as a hundred percent this game. That said, I mean, you don't really have to. <laughs> There's not a whole right. bunch of like side quests that you can do. There's a few, but not a whole lot. Um, the last thing I do want to say that I really appreciate is how the weapons took a role play with the materia system, as far as slots go and oh, growth. Oh, I see. Yeah, I kind of liked that. <clears throat> I liked that, that too. The like. That, that your weapons influence the way that you could equip um, right. your materia. Um, I thought you were talking about the weapons as the mo- the monster weapons. Oh, no, my bad. <laughs> <But laughs> they were I pretty mean, cool, though. <laughs> I, yeah, I, they were neat. There was five of them. You have to fight, I think, four. or you, Well, you only have to fight two, um, but you could fight four. There's one that you don't fight at all. I don't even know what its name is. I've heard some people call it the um the sapphire weapon. It's the one that gets its head blown off by the Junon cannon. Oh, I see. And yeah. like you don't you don't fight it at all. It's the only one you don't fight. But like there's there's five weapons. There's that one that you blow its head off. There's the diamond weapon that the sister ray takes out. There's the ultimate weapon that gives Cloud his ultimate weapon. Um, there's the ruby weapon, and there's the emerald weapon. And the ruby and emerald are both uh, optional bosses. The ruby weapon is not terribly hard. You can fight him around level like 50 or something like that. Like If you don't ever level up, you could fight him around level 50 and do okay if you are strategic about it. Right. Emerald weapon, you can only really take down if you're like level 80 plus. And he's a beast. And he's like <laughs> notoriously difficult. Um, the You do get rewards for fighting those two. If you fight the ruby weapon, your reward is a gold chocobo. If you fight and kill emerald weapon, your reward is master materia for... I think all the master materia. So you get master summon, master magic, master command, master, um, uh, the other one, (laughs) there's there's another one, the blue one. Um, but like, you know, again, you don't really have to, like you could. Yeah. It's a sub thing to do, but like, I don't know. I just, 
I never do it. Like, I don't know. It's it's pretty difficult to do. I accidentally ran into the ruby weapon when I was flying by. Yeah. I was like, no! I was doing my chocobo stuff. And I also heard that those weapons are only in the... Uh, they're only in the North America version of the game. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. that. They were added to the North America version. That the Japanese version doesn't have them. Um... <laughs> uh, Speaking of Chocobos, that gameplay, (laughs) I would like to add that to gameplay. We're still on gameplay, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think that uh, that was a good, like, mini side quest, you know? Because it really, it was kind of, well, you involved the game. But I kind of liked the breeding of the Chocobos. Yeah, breeding Chocobos is a side quest that is very long and grueling if you let it. (laughs) If you don't look up how to do it, it, there's very little information on where you're, what you're supposed to do outside of just, like, finding, doing what you can to find chocobos and doing what you can to race the chocobos to help breed the chocobos. There is some information from the guy in Chocobo the north. Sage. Yeah, yeah. He gives you some information about, like, tips and tricks on what to do and how to, you know, achieve the gold chocobo. But, like, you're, you know, this day and age, your best bet is to just look it yeah. up. Just look <laughs> it up and do it. Like, it's, it, it, it took you, what, like, 45 minutes? Yeah, but I also had the speed thing, which helped a lot. Yeah, it took me, I, I want to say, like, maybe five hours to do. Oh, wow. It was, like, like, two or three, like, days of gameplay to finally get it. My biggest problem was that... Like, once I had it set up, I had to, like, reset the game in hopes of getting the gold chocobo or, like, the chocobo I was desiring. Like, the black one took forever. Yeah. Like, I kept resetting and resetting and resetting. And and then finally I got one. You know, it just, you know. Yeah. it, It can be tedious. But the reward is Knights of the Round. And then some. But, like, you know, if you do the tedious work to get the gold chocobo with the reward of Knights of the Round... You're set for the for the, the rest final of the fight. game. You don't even yeah. have to do anything. <laughs> that said, we can also talk about W item. Oh, the glitch. <laughs> yeah, W item is a glitch, and the way that I have always for the podcast, I strongly discourage using cheat codes, and it's been like this ever since we started. There has been a few games that we've used cheat codes to help speed up time, as far as like. A level select point of view without cheating too much. You know what I mean? Like we have right. a threshold of not cheating. That said, if a game has a glitch that breaks the game to your advantage and you can use it without an outside source, I say it's fair game. So therefore the W item manipulation trick glitch is fine. <laughs> like, game function it is yeah and it's it's the way that the game was developed and that's just it is what it is i used the same principle when we played final fantasy 3 and there's an item manipulation trick that you can do on there too and it's just it's a glitch within the game the developers left it in and it is what it is you can use it if you want to use it right and so the w item kind of what it does is it it glitches out to where you can continuously add more items to an item that you have. 
you have to have two items in your group to be to be able to generate more or clone them or manipulate them. But once you have two, you have infinite. So like infinite elixirs, infinite ethers, infinite mega elixirs, infinite chocobo um, greens. So yeah, you know, money, infinite money. It it, it really (laughs) is infinite money. And then you can buy whatever the heck you need to. And then you're set for the rest of the game. So I did utilize this and I don't feel bad about it. It just, it's part of the game. Everybody does as far as I know. Um, you know, it's just, it's part of the game and you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised and kind of not surprised that they left it in, you know, like the steam versions. Yeah. But you know, at this point it's a staple to the original final fantasy game. Obviously I don't expect that glitch to be available in (laughs) the the remake. remake though. It would be very interesting if it was, um, but yeah, so just, I, I kind of wanted to bring it up while we were talking about it. Yeah. So otherwise, I mean, the worst parts about the game, I or gameplay, and why I knocked it down is probably the like the encounter rate was kind of high. I wrote down um, the leveling system was kind of easy. Uh, the characters, you don't have to use all your characters, which is nice, but it's also like kind of boring. So yeah. like, once you're done in Midgar, you never have to use Barrett again. <laughs> Like, literally never. Or red. <laughs> or, you know, well, I guess red you kind of have to because you have that, like... Your party oh, splits and, up. And same with Barrett. Like, you do have to have one boss battle with just Barrett. But that said, the characters level up with your main party. So, like, if your main party is in the 20s, all the characters, whether you use, you use them or not, will be in the 20s. So, like, they'll, they might be a little bit lower than your main party, but they still will level up with you. So, you're never really down and out, you know? Right. But there's really no use to using them. Um, all the characters are equal. We talked about that. You know, there's there's no real advantage to using any character over another character aside from trying to utilize their um, their uh, limit break, which is yeah. different per character. But even that, it's like minuscule, mm. you know, compared to the way that you can manipulate the materia and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I... It, again, tiny, tiny things to complain about, but it's enough to for me to bring it down to a 9 instead of a 10. Sure. Yeah, I agree. So, let's briefly talk about music. <laughs> I say briefly because it's, it's, it's a 10. Yeah. Well, there's really... When it comes down to music, there's not much to talk about. I mean, I guess there could be much to talk about, but like... Each song, for the most part, is memorable. Absolutely. A lot of it. Like, if you were to play me a song, I could probably tell you where, when, who was there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When they used it in the game. Yeah, yeah. I really liked the sound effects for the magic and for, like, items and stuff. Especially the revive. Oh, really? (laughs) For me, it was beta. Beta, Beta, yeah. was amazing. There was quite a few different things that were really that sounded really cool. Um, Ultima sounded very yes, Ultima. Ultima is really <laughs> cool. 
Um, um, the summons are all amazing. In, in in every aspect, the summons are amazing. <laughs> I yeah, they they executed a lot of sound effects and music like, really really well. Um, Bahamut Zero, the that like the sound of it charging that beam yep. is just amazing. It's <laughs> so good. It's it fits so well. But yeah, I mean, like every song. There were a few songs that like I listened to that didn't hold any nostalgic value for me, and I still was like, "This is a really good song." Yeah. Like I never really, you know, it didn't You're hold very strong it. in my memory. So like, obviously, I've heard it before, but like I hadn't really listened to it. Right. And then this time through, I'm like, "This is really good." I don't really remember this song, but it's still really good. <laughs> so you know, from that point of view, from from my perspective, like. I, right. You know, I kind of went into it thinking maybe because I hold nostalgia for these songs, they're still just, they're they're really good because of that alone. But no, I really feel like, I truly, truly believe that these songs are good just the way they are, even today. Like, even though they're kind of, like, low quality compared to what they could produce now, but the, the melodies and the songs themselves are just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, this was... I mean, there's a reason why people hold this game in such high revere. You know, it's it's not just because it's part of their childhood. It really is a good game. It really is, yeah. Like, really even... Is. Like, 7 is not my favorite, but I acknowledge 7 is an amazing game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just happen to like a different Final Fantasy just a tiny bit more. But 7 is amazing. Like, it, yeah. it was on par with my favorite, I guess. Sure. So yeah, so yeah, music ten out of ten. Easy. Ten out of ten. So yep. overall, I'm giving the game a ten out of ten as well. I am as well. Yeah, I just I enjoyed this game. <sighs> you know, I I was really worried to play this game from a critical point of view because there have been other Final Fantasies that we've kind of torn apart. <laughs> and we didn't give it very good scores. And I was kind of worried that when I played this game again, from a critical point of view, I was going to find so many flaws in it that I was going to rate it really low. And I was really pleasantly surprised. Well, maybe not surprised. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. (laughs) And I enjoyed it from a critical (laughs) point of view. I felt like all these aspects that we judge these games on, Final Fantasy VII really did a good job. Like they, yeah. they really did. They, they tried their hardest to put out a great game, and yeah, it had its quirks and it had its like not so good aspects, freaking blocky characters. But still, the story is so strong, and the music is so strong, and the gameplay—it's all so good, and it fits together so well. And you know, I was kind of thinking that. Final Fantasy VI, after... I, I've been so used to Final Fantasy VII. When I played Final Fantasy VI the first time, it wasn't for the podcast, but it was before that, I kind of thought Final Fantasy VII was good, but Six was, like, technically the best. But no. No, no, no. Final <laughs> Fantasy VII is definitely better than Final Fantasy VI. Like, absolutely. And I'm sorry if you're a huge Final Fantasy VI fr- fan, but... That's how I feel. Like the the characters have s- way more depth. Right. Even though, like, I don't really care for like Red's backstory. It's you know they didn't do a very good job. But like, still, 
if there's backstory. Like, there's a reason right. for him to be in your group. There's a reason for him to exist as a as a monster character person. You know, it's it's just you know, there's yeah, there there are other games that we've played, even like Final Fantasy VI, where there are characters that just hold no backstory. They have no reason for being in the group, and yet here they are. You know, so I don't know. Again. I enjoyed everything about this game. So I'm all right. I'll let, I'll let you say a few things. No, if you that's, wish. <laughs> I mean, you really recapped it. It's, this is a game from my childhood. I loved this game. I loved the seriousness. I don't know. It's just, it was a good yeah, game. I'm, know, I'm really happy that they're remaking this. Yeah, seriously. So I, you know, you, you hit on something. It's, it's a serious game. And I feel like that, that, shows a lot in this game that it really is like kids can play it don't get me wrong it's not like an adult rated m game but like it's it's a very serious game it it kind of plays with mental health you know thoughts you know it, it plays with yeah you know questioning what reality is i mean it's it's got some dark tones with aries dying and dealing with that like it's it's just it's strong it's a strong game all the way around and it's just i just i loved it all the way through i'm sad that <laughs> it's done but i'm ready to move on so you know to the remake yeah to the remake absolutely i'm ready to move on so let's play it again <laughs> <laughs> you know i will say at the end I was rushing to get this game done as I always am cuz I'm always in a hurry cuz <laughs> I always wait till last minute i beat it and I was sad. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was kind of sad. It was like, you know, I loved this game and I kind of wish I hadn't have rushed. I'm glad I am because I am always behind, but <laughs> I, I'm, it was kind of sad when it finished. Yeah. I, I was, I was worried starting to play it because it's like, once I play it, I'm not going to get a chance to play this game again, maybe in a long time. Yeah. Just because, you know, the podcast, we play just what we're playing for. For me anyway, I play only what I'm playing for the podcast. I play very little anything else. So, you know, I'm probably not going to play this game for a long time. I mean, I'm going to play the remake, but, you know, I'm not going to play this game again for a while. So I was nervous going into it of like, this is, I'm playing this critically and I have to play, you know, I have to review it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to mark it too high because, I don't want to, you know, come from a biased <laughs> point of view, but like, still, it it just it does. It holds up so well. <sighs> I'm gushing. <laughs> ten out of ten would play again. Yeah, absolutely. So, my final score was a forty-seven out of fifty, which was the same as mine. Yep, and so that's a ninety-four out of a hundred, which is an A. A solid A. A solid A. Like one more, it would have been an A plus. Oof, that's that's scary. Let's go change it. <laughs> Let's change it. We need. We needs one more point in there. No, I. W- the very few games have gotten into the nineties. Very few games are, uh, you know, from from a Zap Night point of view. Very few games get this high of a mark. So obviously, it's a good game. You should play it. <laughs> I agree. So, um, anything else you want to say about Seven? Oh, we've been talking a long time. Yeah, we have. I've got. 
uh, well over two hours. So well <laughs> over two hours, almost three. So um, coming up next. Oh, first off, if you're listening to this to the very end, thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate it. If you're new to the podcast, I I offer you the rest of our library, which is 62 previous episodes of Zap Night, where we play a game from beginning to end, and we talk about it in this same format. Um, we have currently played all of the Final Fantasies up to 7, so 1 through 6 have been completed, and now 7 is complete. We also have played and reviewed 15, too, so if any of those sound like fun, make sure you check us out. Uh, we have an archive on our website, zapnight.com, where you can see everything that we've played in the past. And I have a, a YouTube channel. You might be watching this on YouTube. If you are, subscribe. I would really appreciate it. But we also have a second YouTube channel called Zap Night Plays. And that has all of my gameplay footage from all of the games that we've streamed in the past. So check that out if that's at all interesting to you. Um, I really hope that you come back for more. We're, we've got all sorts of other stuff going on too. We we play uh, thrift shop games. We have we played a, an episode of um, Bubble Bobble with with our mom. So <laughs> just like cool things, we're, we're we're doing stuff all the time. I I really hope that you come back for more. Thank you for listening. Um, coming up next, we are playing the Final Fantasy VII remake. It comes out in a few weeks from now. I'm really excited to start playing it. However, I don't think that we're going to be able to beat it within the first couple weeks of it being released. So we're going to actually do that podcast review. Hopefully, uh, not May, June 1st. So June 1st will hopefully be the Final Fantasy VII remake review, at least this first part. Um, until then, I'm currently playing Metroid Prime. So Metroid Prime will be May 1st podcast review. So if that sounds like fun, you can check us out at zapnight.com where you can see everything we've done in the past as well as our news feed of everything we've got currently going on. You can check out Twitch where I play, currently I'm playing Metroid Prime. I have all of Final Fantasy VII stuff on Twitch too for a short time. So yeah, anything else, Kaylee? Am I, no, am I forgetting anything? That's pretty much it. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Bye.